Good morning, everyone. You can make your way back to your seat. As you guys quieted down quick today. Wow. Well done. New Year's resolution. Very good. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And as Mark said, we're certainly glad uh, that you've joined us this morning. Uh, I hope that you all had a good Christmas, lots of good rest and good food and good time with friends and family. I recognize that this will probably be the longest time you've sat still or, and paid attention in quite some time other than a Star Wars movie. Uh, so we'll try to be engaging with you and keep you with me uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. It's New Year's Eve and, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll have a great night tonight for those of us who are celebrating Canada New Year's or maybe Singapore, whatever comes at 7 o'clock in, <laughs> in the evening. I don't know. British. British? Okay, there we go. That's 8. There we go. Well, we might go Hawaii or whatever is first on the list. I don't know. <clears throat> it's already been. Hey, Happy New Year. Hey, I can go to bed at 7. Awesome. I'm ahead of myself. Awesome. All right. Uh, so if you remember before uh, Christmas, I preached on expectation, and, uh, and I, I read a C.S. Lewis quote during that message uh, that said, true faith is never found alone, it is always accompanied by expectation. And so I thought that this morning it would be good to look at faith. We looked at expectation last time, and so as we head into the new year, uh, I believe God's wanting to raise our faith for what he can do this coming year. And so we're going to spend the next... A uh, few minutes looking at faith and putting our faith in God. And so the title this morning is New Year, New Tests, New Faith, which is all fine and dandy except that fourth word in there, tests. Nobody really likes that word. Nobody has ever said, you know, I just love tests. I love to be put to the tests. I wish I had more tests in my life. Of all the things I hope for in 2018, I just hope it's a year full of tests, right? Nobody has ever <laughs> said that. But we'll just uh, put ourselves under God's Word this morning and see what He wants to do. Uh, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it's certainly a very popular chapter in the Bible. It's been given the title of the Hall of Faith because it contains story after story of men and women in the Bible who trusted God in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And so this morning we'll pick up one of those stories and look at Abraham and Isaac. And so we'll read Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, and then I don't have a slide for it, but we'll jump back and look in Genesis at the original story that Hebrews 11 uh, refers to. All right? So I'll pray, and then we'll read, and then we'll jump in. Okay. So Father, uh, we're so thankful that you have met with us already this morning, and it does amaze us. We do stand amazed in your presence that you love us, yet we are sinners condemned, unclean, and yet you love us and sent your son for us, and you've washed us, and you've renewed us, you've brought us to new life in you, and that it just blows our mind. We cannot comprehend your great love for us. And so on the basis of Jesus' blood, we just come to you now, and we just say, continue your work in us. Continue to transform us into his image through your word. We pray in your grace that you would give us eyes to see 
and ears to hear and hearts to understand your word this morning and what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews 11, <clears throat> beginning in verse 17. I've still got that cold, by the way. I think we're three weeks in, so I will continue to try not to cough into the microphone, but just stay with me. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, <clears throat> and he who had... <clears throat> sorry. We'll get there. It'll get better as I go. All right, here we go. Shall we do a restart? Yes. <laughs> Aiden, buddy. Here we go. A new start. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. So we see right off the bat, Abraham's faith is tested. So when does this testing happen in our life. We see when it happens in Abraham's life. When does this testing happen in our life? When do, can we expect to have our faith tested? Well, very simply, the testing of our faith happens between when a promise of God is given and when that promise is fulfilled. In that space in between is a life of testing. If you want to put the next slide up there. There we go. Great for our visual learners. So God gives us a promise, and then there's a time in between until that promise is fulfilled. It could be a very short time. It could be a lifetime. But in between, there is testing. And so we can say with confidence that in 2018, there will be a testing of our faith. Our faith will be tested this coming year because we are all living in between promise made and promise fulfilled. We're all living in between promise made and promise fulfilled. So this has application in two ways. In the big picture, we're all in this period because we're all living, waiting on God to fulfill a promise. Has God fulfilled all of his promises? You can respond. Has God fulfilled all of his promises? No. So when I wake up with a sore throat and it feels like your throat is that big and you're coughing, then I know God has not fulfilled all of his promises because one of his promises we see in Revelation is that he'll wipe out all sickness and he'll wipe out all pain and he'll wipe out all sadness and he'll wipe out all tears. So even me waking up with a sore throat knows God has not fulfilled all of his promises yet. <clears throat> but also, we need to bring it down and think corporately on the church level. What promises has God given us, Christ Central Fredericton? What promises has God given our church in this city, this group of believers that gather to him? And maybe even this morning, personally, you feel God has given you promises. Like when we looked at Simeon before Christmas, God had given him a personal promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. 
So what specific for you promises do you feel God has given to you? Promises that have yet to be fulfilled. Promises for your family, things he's put on your heart for your kids, your neighborhood. You see, no matter where we are at this morning, no matter how many promises God has already fulfilled in our lives, if we are following God, we are living in this space between promise made and promise fulfilled. And so we are all experiencing our faith being tested. So we need to see that. Because although the parameters of Abraham's testing are quite unique, the experience of having faith tested is common to all who follow Jesus. So as you look out on 2018 and we ask things like, what does it hold for us? What can we expect? We can expect new trials and we can expect new testing of our faith. But we can also expect new faith to push through those trials. James 1, 2-3 says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy when you encounter trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. So what was Abraham's test? We kind of got the Coles Notes version in Hebrews 11. Uh, why don't we flip back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. We'll flip back there and we'll get more of the full story. Genesis 22. Oh, I do have a slide. Oh, look at me. <laughs> I didn't think I had done a slide for Genesis 22. Awesome. So we see that promise made, promise fulfilled, and that time in between testing, right? We see that because that's basically the basis for it all. Promise made, promise fulfilled, and we live in this gap in between where our faith is tested. So before we read Genesis 22, let me just set the stage for you a bit. So Genesis 22 uh, is the fifth recorded time that God appears to this guy Abraham. Uh, the first back is back in Genesis 12, which is God's initial call on Abraham's life. God calls Abraham to leave everything that he knew to go to a land that God would show him. And God promises a sonless Abraham that he will make from him a great nation. And on top of that, God promises that all the families of the earth, earth will be blessed through him. And Abraham goes. He packs up and he heads out, leaving everything he knew behind because God had given him a promise. That's Genesis 12. Genesis 15, God comes and he promises Abraham descendants like the stars of the sky. But Abraham starts to question the whole thing. A short while later, he gets tired of waiting on God, decides to work out the finer details of the promise himself, and has a son through his servant Hagar. And so God comes again in Genesis 17 and tells Abraham, you know, look, when I said I would give you a son, I meant that you would have a, a son through your wife Sarah. Sorry for not being overly clear on that, uh, but that was the intent, was for you to have a son through your wife Sarah. <clears throat> and so after hearing from God, that he would have a son through his wife, Sarah, who is around 90 years old. Uh, Abraham does what you and I would do if we were in the same situation, and he falls down on his face and laughs hysterically. 
which I find quite uh, encouraging when I read that because we tend to build these men and women up into great, you know, heroes of the Bible, and, and they are, and, but we, but we kind of gloss them over and we kind of make them almost mythical legends. So sure, Abraham was a great man of faith, as we'll see, but he also got a side stitch from laughing at a promise of God to him. All right? So the ridiculousness of what God was promising to do, Abraham falls on his face and laughs hysterically. And so I personally find that quite encouraging because God in his grace still uses Abraham. God in his grace still uses Abraham. He still uses Abraham. He still fulfills his promise. If we promise somebody something and they laughed in our face at the ridiculousness of us having the ability or the power to fulfill that promise, then we'd say, forget you, right? We'd say, if you don't believe me and you're just going to laugh and make fun of me, then forget it, I'll go to somebody else. But look at God's grace towards Abraham. Abraham falls down laughing in the face of God at the promise he gave him, and yet God still uses him. God still fulfills the promise through him. God says to Abraham, Sarah will give you a son. His name will be Isaac, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with him. In chapter 18, God appears for the fourth time, announcing the upcoming birth. And within the year, all the hopes and dreams of Abraham and Sarah are fulfilled. Isaac is born what seemed absolutely out of the picture, what they doubted and trusted and doubted and trusted and doubted and trusted that God would do, he did. Abraham throws a feast, the sun has come, and you can imagine the scene, Abraham and Sarah, beyond their years to have children, rocking a newborn baby in the night, with tears not of sadness or despair, but of thankfulness, real laughter now, not out of disbelief, but out of the deep joy that comes from feeling the grace of God on your life. God has provided. He is faithful. The promise will be fulfilled. And then we come to Genesis 22, and it all changes. So read Genesis 22 with me. <clears throat> After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order 
and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. All right, as we look at Abraham's faith and how it was tested, how it passed the test, I want us to see four areas to look at from Abraham's faith that we can learn from so that our faith passes the test as well. New year, new tests, and new faith. So first, looking at Abraham, we need to notice that faith kneels faith kneels. The position of faith is one of humbly kneeling before a sovereign God. It's the first point, but it's also the foundation for all that follows. So think of where Abraham was at here. What was it? What was that night like before they set out for the three days journey to the place of sacrifice? What was that night like before setting out on the trip? Most scholars believe Isaac was at least a teenager by this point, if not a young man. So Abraham had years and years and years to reflect back on. Abraham undoubtedly's mind, it would have raced with memories of Isaac, the tears that he shared with Sarah when Isaac was born, first words, first steps, old Abraham trying to keep up with the rambunctious five-year-old, nighttime stories, chasing stray sheep, He would have gone over and over and over the promises that God had made. If he looked up at the stars, he would have remembered God saying that his descendants would outnumber them. And the dreams he had of how God's promise would be fulfilled, trying to imagine what it would all look like. But at some point, Abraham must have come to a place of humble submission, recognizing that God's ways, God's thoughts were greater than his own. At some point, there would have been some sort of a not my will, but your will be done prayer. Sometimes we can just read these stories rather quickly, but let alone being his son, this was a lot of God's promises wrapped up in this son. A lot of God's promises wrapped up in this son. No matter how difficult it was for Abraham this night, this story has certainly caused a lot of difficulty for people ever since. Many people, when they read this account, they kind of recoil at the thought of God asking a father to sacrifice his son. How can God ask somebody to do something which to us seems so wrong? There's no real other way to put it. It just seems wrong to us. And it is, it is difficult It is a difficult story, as long as we continue to look at it from our perspective and continue to see life as kind of mainly about us. Our perspective begins to change 
when we see the greatest good is not our good, but God's glory. The point of it all is the glory of God. But God isn't just some ego hog looking to be pumped up by saying, you know, will you do whatever I ask you, right? When I was eight years old, I had this friend named Stephen, and he used to get a bunch of money from his parents, and he'd go to the store and buy all this candy, and then he would just get us to do things for the candy. It was just kind of his thing. And we didn't really care because if you get an O. Henry bar when you're eight years old, it pretty much makes your day, right? So he'd be like, run to the door and back, and I'll give you this bag of chips. And we'd be like, we don't care. We'll run to the door and back. I don't know what his deal was. All I knew is I got a lot of candy from him, right? But that's not God. That's not God. He's not dreaming up things and wondering and saying, I wonder if they'll do this. I wonder if they'll do this. I wonder if they'll do this, right? Amy Carmichael said, a wise master never wastes his servant's time. A wise master never wastes his servant's time. God is a wise master. He has a purpose. And I think one of his purposes was to show Abraham the reality of sin and judgment. Notice God doesn't just say, kill him. Right? God just doesn't say, Abraham, kill your son. Abraham has the knife. It's not look like it took him three days to find a knife. He has a knife. He needed to go to a mountain. There's wood involved. There's fire involved. This was a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And a burnt offering has to do with sin. Here's the promised son, the heir, the miracle baby. But even he was guilty before God. Even he was not innocent before God and he deserved death. In the Bible, we see again and again how the firstborn represents the entire family. So here, Isaac, as the firstborn, represents a sinful people that are in judgment and in need of mercy. <clears throat> and there's nothing Abraham and Isaac could do to get out of it. They're helpless. They can't get out of it themselves. God is showing them that they're not their own savior. They need a Savior to come and save. We love to fix things ourselves. You turn on the TV, and any show that's not a cop and a doctor is a show about DIY, about home improvements, about doing things yourself, right? You can fix anything these days on YouTube. A few years ago, uh, the air conditioning belt on our 2000 Honda Odyssey broke, and we watched a video on YouTube. I went to Canadian Tire and bought the belt, and Karen and I fixed the air conditioning belt, right? Because you can do anything with YouTube these days. And after you're done, what do you do? You kind of, your chest kind of gets a little bigger, and you kind of walk a little straighter, and you're like, I fixed that with only going to Canadian Tire and spending six bucks on a belt, and right? You get a little proud of yourself because you fixed what was broken, and you did it all yourself. I did it. But what's true for a broken belt is not true for our broken lives of sin and our broken relationship with God. We can't DIY it. We can't DIY it. And the position of faith is when we come to a place and humbly kneel before God and say, you are God, I am not. You are creator, I am creation. Your will be done. Daniel 4.35 says of God, that he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, 
or say to him, what have you done? And so often we want to put God on the witness stand and we kind of smugly pace back and forth and question his actions and his motives and his purposes. But the only way we get the answers we're looking for is not by standing over God, but by humbly kneeling before him. So what's our position this morning? Are we standing before God, questioning his ways, showing him his errors and his misjudgment and how you would do things if you were in his spot? How you would given this and done that? You know, here's my, here's my church plan for revival, God. You should, you should look at it. You should consider doing things this way. Here's how I would, you know, save people. You should do that. Here's my DIY video of how to save my brother. You should do it this way. Or are we kneeling before him and humbly declaring that he is good and he alone is God? We need to kneel before God in faith. The second thing we see looking at Abraham here is that faith obeys. Between verse 2 and verse 3, Abraham is faced with a crossroads from his perspective. God has promised me a future through Isaac. God has asked me to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. If I obey, there's no possible way that the promise will happen. Verse 2 says, God says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you've never read the story before, you don't know what the next verse is going to say. Here we have the promised son, and then God telling Abraham to offer up the pro promised son. So between verse 2 and 3, Abraham's really at a crossroads there. What is he going to do? Because it looks like if he obeys God's command, then that's going to wipe out God's promise. And then verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he went. It's a crossroads that some of us have stood at as well, where obedience looks like it will squash the promise, where obedience looks like it will crush our hopes, where obedience looks like it will only bring us misery and pain. Where going down the path of God's command will be like to us, Abraham sacrificing the son he loves. And standing there like Abraham, we ask ourselves, can I trust God in this? Even though from my you know, six-foot view of things, it seems impossible that it will turn out well. Standing there in that crossroads, we're faced with the decision to be obedient to God or try to receive the promise our own way. Maybe we can dismiss the call of God. Maybe we can bend it a bit. Maybe we can obey it halfway, work around it, and tell ourselves we've done what God has asked of us. But Abraham knew because he had already tried to fulfill the promise by himself and he made a royal mess of things. When the birth of Isaac didn't come, when he felt it should have come, Abraham had a son by his servant Hagar and it brought hurt and it brought jealousy and it brought misery to the family. So Abraham had learned through that experience a great truth when we find ourselves at that crossroads, that the faith 
that receives God's promises must also obey God's commands. The faith that receives God's promises must also obey God's commands. It's the same God and it's the same word. And so as we live in this time between promise given and promise fulfilled, our job is to obey. No matter how much the command seems to grind against the promise given, this is the main difference between those who put their trust in God and those who put their trust in themselves. Because when the command seems to run in stark contrast to the promise, the faith to obey leaves the means of the fulfillment of that promise in God's hands, not in ours. The fulfillment of promises is God's business. Following the command is our business. It's not our job to fulfill the promise. Our job is to obey the commands. So through our Christian life, that's a hard lesson that God teaches us to obey before we understand. To obey before we understand. And it's a hard lesson, isn't it? Because we love to have it all figured out. We love to know how X leads to Y and leads to Z. And we love to have our, our GPS on telling us which way to go and how long it's going to take and what turn we need to take next before we ever set out. And so sometimes we can just take the posture of, well, I just don't see how it will work out, so I'm not going to do it. But as you read this story, you have this sense from Abraham that he just knew it would work out. He even says to his servants, we're going up here to worship and then we will come back. He tells Isaac, God will provide the lamb. He just had this sense that he knew it would work out. He didn't understand, but in faith, he obeyed. And so as a church, as a people of God, a big question we need to ask ourselves is, is our main focus on obeying God's commands or is our main focus on fulfilling God's promises? Because when we're obedient to God's commands, that leaves the means of the fulfillment of God's promise in his hands and takes it out of ours. Is our main focus on obeying God's commands or on fulfilling God's promises? And are we willing to obey before we understand? The third thing we see is that faith considers. In Abraham, in, in Hebrews eleven nineteen, it says that Abraham considered that God was able was even able to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham's faith was a thought out faith. It was a reasoned faith. It was a faith that considered. A faith that considered. And so often faith is presented as kind of like this foolish younger brother of wisdom. All right, wisdom, you know, he's very detailed and he, he budgets and he invests and his, his, he always changes the oil on his car every 5,000 kilometers, right? And his younger brother, Faith, is just reckless and carefree and his gas tank is always on E and he's always just living on the edge. And so often we present wisdom and faith as kind of these two uh, ends of the pendulum sort of thing, very set apart from each other. But faith is not blind, and it's certainly not the opposite of wisdom, at least not biblical wisdom. James speaks of worldly wisdom and wisdom from above. And the mark of worldly wisdom is that it focuses 
on ourselves. It has selfish ambition. But wisdom, true wisdom, wisdom from above, takes God into account. Abraham's faith considered. What did it consider? It considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead. That's what it considered. And so often we pride ourselves on being logical, but our logic doesn't bring God into the equation. But just look at Abraham's logic. If God has promised that all the nations will be blessed through Isaac, and God has told me to sacrifice Isaac, then God will fulfill his promise, even if it means that he will raise Isaac from the dead. That's Abraham's logical faith. That's his considered faith. That's Abraham's wisdom. Abraham saw the power God has over life in giving Abraham and Sarah Isaac, even though they are well beyond their days to have children. So he reasoned that if God has the power of life, then God also has the power over death. If Abraham was in our church, how many of us would say, well, you know, Abraham, he's, he's, he is the promised son, so I don't think there's any way you should set out on this journey. You know, you need to be wise here, Abraham. Think about how long you've waited for this son, and now you're just going just gonna to set out on this journey and sacrifice him because you think God has, has told you to? Come on, Abraham, let's be wise here, right? Have you thought about it? Have you thought this through? What are you really going after? You're being pretty foolish here, right? But Abraham's like, I have thought about it. I've thought about it with God in the picture. My thinking and considering and logic is not devoid of God's power and his grace and his love and his sovereign rule. So like Abraham, today in the church, we're in desperate need of men and women who have a faith that considers, who have a faith that considers, who have a faith that looks at what God has done, who he is, and trusts in what he will do. We're talking about God's promises here. We're talking about the promises of God here, not the promises of Brent, not the promises of Mark, not the promises of Tim. We're talking about the promises of God here. God has spoken. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? These are God's promises. And we can become so paralyzed with fear. And no matter how many times we call it wisdom, we can call it wisdom over and over and over again. And still it remains fear. Wisdom is not wisdom if God is not in the equation. True wisdom comes from a faith that considers. So consider. Consider what God has done with this church over 20 years of preserving us and growing us. Consider how he's faithfully provided financially. Consider. Consider what he's done in Betty's life. Consider what he's done in the people that he saved. Consider what he's done in saving you. Consider what he's done in bringing Gemma here last year and starting up Kids Church and all that we've seen it do. Consider what God has done. That's what the faith, that's the type of faith that God is calling us to as a church. Not a blind faith, 
not a faith that just says, I'm going to trust God and just puts no thought into anything else. It's a faith that says, I see what God has done. I see the power that he has. I see that he has the power even to raise someone from the dead because he's risen me from the dead spiritually. I consider who God is and what he's done, and I put my faith in him for 2018 and what he will do. That's the type of faith that we need. We need a faith that considers. Faith kneels, faith obeys, faith considers. Lastly, we need to see in Abraham that faith receives. Faith receives provision from God. Look at verse 10. It says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. Abraham had faith that he would receive provision from God. He believed it in verse 5. The boy and I will go and worship and we will come again to you. He believed it in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb and God provided a ram caught in the thorns. But what does a ram caught in the thorns have to do with you and me? Well, many years later, Jesus told the Pharisees that Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. That Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. And you just have to wonder if it was here on this, on this mountain that God gave Abraham a glimpse of what was to come, a glimpse of Jesus. You have to wonder if Abraham had that glimpse of Jesus' day as he saw the ram caught in the thorns, a sacrifice instead of his son. You have to wonder if Abraham saw a glimpse of another only son who was loved by his father, another son who would carry the wood for his sacrifice up a hill, another son who would remain silent. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7. But although Isaac was saved by a ram in the thorns, there was no substitute for Jesus. He was our substitute. He was the lamb wearing thorns as a crown upon his head. And he takes our punishment, even though we were the ones guilty before God. In our sin, like Isaac, we stand guilty before God, helpless to save ourselves, desperately in need of a rescuer. And Jesus rescues by taking our place, becoming our substitute. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham received Isaac back as though from the dead, and God the Father would receive Jesus back from the dead. Three days later, raised from the dead, by the power of the Father, victorious over sin, victorious over death, 
and all the powers of darkness. We need to receive that by faith. We need to receive that by faith. To follow the command and trust God for the promise, we need to see His great love for us. Abraham could go up on the mountain willing to be obedient to God no matter what loss it might give him, no matter how difficult it might be, because he knew God will provide the lamb. And now, on the other side of the cross, we can be obedient to God no matter how difficult the situation might be, no matter how risky the circumstances might be, because we can say, the lamb has been provided for me. The lamb has been provided. And that's the anchor of God's love under us so that we can go anywhere, so that we can be obedient to whatever God may call us to. We can trust him to fulfill his promises because we can look at Jesus hanging on the cross and know that he who gave up his son for us, how will he not also then with him graciously give us all things? The lamb has been provided. We know that we have a father who is able to work all things together for our good. Not just because he worked all things together for Abraham and Isaac's good, but because he took the worst thing possible, the death of his son, and turned it into the greatest good anyone could ever dream of, our salvation. The lamb has been provided. So we need to see that. Do you see that this morning? In this time of waiting for the fulfillment of a promise, the future fulfillment of a promise, we need to stand securely on the promises that have already been fulfilled. Jesus has come. The lamb has been provided. Why would God not continue to provide for his children? So as we get ready to go into another new year, we're getting ready to go into 2018. <clears throat> My prayer for us as a church is that when we encounter these trials and these tests that we will face this year, that we'll see that new faith rise up amongst us, a faith that sees God for who he is, that looks back at all that God has done, what he's done in us, what he's done in, his, in the world, a faith that considers, a faith that considers, a new faith that trusts God with the impossible, that trusts that God will fulfill every single one of his promises, and full of faith then we submit ourselves to him, we're obedient to his commands, we're not trying to take his promises into our own hands and work them out, we're obedient and we keep our eyes fixed on his greatest provision that the lamb has been provided. We fix our eyes on Jesus and follow God into all that he has for us in 2018. Yes, it's a new year. There will be new tests, but we have a new faith that rises up and we can consider 2018 with joy, even though there'll be new tests in 2018. We can consider it joy because we know that the testing of our faith produces in us steadfastness. That's my prayer for us as a church heading into the new year, that we'd have that new faith. Why don't we stand up <clears throat> and I'll pray and then I'll turn it back over to Mark.
Yeah, God, we do pray uh, that you would continue to work in us as we look back at 2017 and we see all that you've done. Uh, we're very thankful. We're very thankful for your grace on our lives. And we want not just to sit here in thankfulness, we want that to spur us on forward in you. As we consider all that you've done, uh, we want that to uh, grow our faith in what you can do in this upcoming year. And so our prayer as a church is that we would just humbly kneel before you. We would recognize your lordship over our lives. We wouldn't try to take matters into our own hands, but we'd fully trust you in all things that we wouldn't try to fulfill your promises for us as a church, for us individually, but we'd focus our attention on obeying you and what you've called us to. And we keep our eyes fixed on your son as we see your great love for us displayed on the cross by the death of your son, that we'd fix our eyes and it would just become uh, kind of the heartbeat of our church that the lamb has been provided the lamb has been provided and you would use that to grow our faith in this upcoming year and so we pray Father that you would raise our faith as a church for the lost that you'd raise our faith for those that we've been praying for to see salvation come to them that you'd raise our faith for our children and what you can do through them that you'd raise our faith for street level you'd raise our faith for Kids Club, you'd raise our faith for Fuel, for the youth group, for Kids, for kids Church, that you'd raise our faith uh, to reach the city, that you'd raise our faith to see your kingdom advanced, that you'd raise our faith for what you can do with us in our workplaces, that we can see real change happen by your spirit, that you'd raise our faith to see churches planted and grow and see the gospel spread. Father, we just pray raise our faith in this upcoming year and as we encounter various trials and tests we wouldn't turn our nose at them but we'd know that the testing of our faith is not only uh not only are do we have the faith to match those tests and push through those tests but you're working in us and you're producing steadfastness in us and that would then and for that reason 2018 would be a year of joy in this church as we see you work as, you see, as we see you work through us and in us. And we know it's all for your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in 2018. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.